Hey friends, we are back to talk more about permaculture and how you can apply it to your homestead in an effective way. Today we will be talking all about zone one specifically, and this is where you really get into the nitty gritty of your gardening and your growing and um, the stuff you interact with the most on your homestead. So listen in, get some ideas, and if you haven't, share some feedback. Hey friends! Welcome to The Schoolhouse Life, where we answer your pressing questions and share useful tools for creating your most fulfilling, self-sufficient family homestead. We go back to basics in all things family, faith, and farming, and we're eager to teach you what we've learned, everything from growing a garden to earning an income to living a less toxic and more nature-based lifestyle. We're thrilled you're here and hope you leave inspired to live your life as a schoolhouse too. Okay, zone one. So we've talked about zone zero, which is the heart of the homestead, the inner workings. Uh, today we're going to talk about, I don't know if you're going to peel back. I, I feel like, how do we relate this to a body? It's really the skin. The skin? Yeah. <laughs> the skin of the body. It's the thing you look at the most. The thing you see when you look at your home. It's up against the house generally. Um, it can even shield your house in a way that the Similar to the skin, you're right? Really pushing I'm really the pushing this metaphor. metaphor. I'm wondering what you're going to do with the rest of the zones. <laughs> it absorbs water. Oh my gosh! It grows hair. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, zone one is often what we see when we're doing our audits. Is we see people pushing zone one way too far out from that zone zero. Um, or not knowing there is a zone. Or not even, yeah, I mean, it's the, uh, that unawareness of knowing, you know, zone, what is a zone one? And a zone yeah. one is like, you know, it is where we um, we do all our business. And I think it's really important that we focus on that region. And and I wouldn't say you have to iron it all out in the first. Uh, first, it actually is probably one that you, you want to work on more over time. I feel like you will get to it later when we talk about zones um, two and three and four. but um, zone one, I think, takes the longest to iron out. You should start slow and just be building it up over time. Yeah. And I think like a great place to start is find the south side of your house mm-hmm. and look at the south side wall, mm-hmm. especially in the southern areas of the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the most heat is going to be in the winter and the summer. Mm-hmm. So if you can really start thinking about the best growing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but then also like, I think you get the most bang for your buck if you can start like growing vertically on the south side. So you're like shading it during the summer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, also you can just stack like a lot of different layers right up against the wall. Yeah. Well, the thing about your walls is there there are going to be a a thermal mass that that holds heat or cold, depending um, really and reflecting that sunlight back onto your growing area in most situations. So we really want to maximize what we're growing right around the house because it turns out you're probably going to take your zone from whatever it is. Like, say we have a zone seven um, from an, an A to a B or a, is it is it seven A to seven to seven B? Is that how it yeah. works? Okay, so then it would take it from like a seven A to, to hard seven, maybe even a seven B or right. vice versa. So you really are able to kind of manipulate what you can grow there in a very um, exciting way um, and, and start thinking about water as well. So we've talked about, you know, harnessing that rainwater off of your home in our zone zero episode this time. Now we want to think about how can we retain water there and use it to the benefit of our zone one. Right. I think it's important though, that we, you don't want to start 
like in permaculture, you start sinking water and really on zone one no, for a yeah. lot of it, you don't want to start sinking because of foundation and basement issues. Well, generally, um, that's why people have gutters. Right. Yeah. To get that away from the ground. Get it away from the house. Right there. Yeah. But um, you can also, I think what you see a lot is with zone one is people tend to like leave it as pathways or mm-hmm. just like grass. And or gravel. Yeah. Or gravel or just for some reason don't really think about like when I step outside my door, what do I want to see? How do I want to feel? Mm-hmm. What do I want to smell? What do I want to eat? You know, mm-hmm. like if you start asking those questions outside of every door of your house, I mm-hmm. think that's a really good way to start designing. And it. a lot of times we plan our what we're doing around what's already there. And if we purchase something, a house, for example, that isn't set up with a permaculture mindset, then it's really easy to say, oh, I'm just going to work with what's here. Right. And it may seem easier in the short term, but in the long term, if you're not modifying it to fit these permaculture principles then you're doing more work so even for example a lot of people will move their garden out to a flat sunny spot that maybe is behind a shed or somewhere out away from their home yeah their annual garden beds and we see this all the time and as soon as you move it out there you're increasing the time that it takes you to get out there and back to your house exponentially right plus like water lines plus water lines plus the deer and all the other predators are going to come in closer and um and be more of an issue when you have the garden that much further from your home and then you think about also you have to make an effort to go out there right like if your garden is right outside your door and that's really so when we say the zone around your house like there's there's areas of our home right outside our home that are not really easy accessible because there's no door. Right. So, you know, outside our bedroom windows, there's not really a door right there. So it wouldn't be a good place to grow, but right outside your door where you're walking in and out every single day. um, And we've even talked about how we aren't even that efficient because the best place, the place we travel the most frequently without thinking, Oh, I'm going to the garden is to the driveway, right? Where the cars are. And that would be the most ideal place to have our garden is between the, the, the back door to the place we walk to get into our cars. And for most people, that's true. So if you have a place where that can be where you start, that would be the most ideal part of your zone one to start cultivating. Um, And don't just think about annual gardens because we want to build a structure around which to grow and thinking about it in more of a round way of thinking than a linear way of thinking, I think is really important. Um, A lot of times people already have landscaping in some of these newer homes or even older homes that have been, you know, either mulched and have bushes or maybe even trees. And one of the first things we had to do when we uh, moved into our property was to cut down a lot of trees, um, which was a little bit of a tragedy because it was beautiful. It was a beautiful like lakeside property, but it was the south side facing hill of our too shady. It was too shady. Um, So anyway, how can you look at your property and what's there that maybe isn't really serving you um, when it comes to having an actual functional homestead? And it maybe you needed to cut down some trees or um, yeah. move some bushes. I think the other thing too is like thinking about like herbs and perennials mm-hmm. in, in your landscaping, like um, the kitchen. I have on our notes like kitchen herbs. You know, mm-hmm. like right outside your kitchen door should be your kitchen herb garden, not mm-hmm. like way out in the annual garden, but incorporate it like as part of your landscaping. Change your landscaping to serve the mm-hmm. needs of your family instead of the nandinas and the boxwoods and you know the things that aren't edible or really don't serve much of a purpose start thinking about 
um, ways that you can, your landscape can benefit you. And long term, like Lacey was saying, with the annuals, there's after a while, you know, you only have the annuals for so long. But if you invest now in perennials, mm. then those can continue to serve you. And there's nothing more satisfying than like now we have like this massive amount of time and we had rosemary all summer and, you know, like all of these herbs that you can just go out and pick. Even in the wintertime, there's some still growing. Mm-hmm. So um, I think really looking at your zone one, the first 10 to 15 steps out every door, what is growing there? What could be growing there? The other thing I put that um, Lacey has really made me aware of is cut flowers. Mm. Like a lot of landscapes that we see, a lot of um, properties that we see, haven't really taken flowers into account. Mm-hmm. And it's purely function. Purely function, yeah. Which I would argue that flowers serve many functions, but you, yeah. you, it's we tend to, as, I don't know, uh, doers or as people who are trying to get something done, right? Like right. We, we think, oh, okay, it needs to have a function of like practicality. Not taking time to stop and smell the roses. Mm. Right. Or, I mean, I mean, and I look at it a lot like, okay, first of all, a lot of flowers grow are dual purpose. So they're great cut flowers, but they're also herbal teas right. or yeah. medicinal, have medicinal qualities. Um, but additionally, they, the pollinators love flowers. Yeah. Love, love, love. And the more pollinators, the better. The more of that, you know, influx of different critters, the better. So, yeah. I mean, they do serve a purpose, but but a lot of times we have to convince people <laughs> to, yeah. to prioritize them. But in like just that like overall mental well-being of being able to go out and cut flowers and bring mm-hmm. them in. Oh, you yeah. Know, mm-hmm. is, um, for me, that's massive. Yeah. That's I mean, it, there's not like even for me, I, I think it's beautiful to have cut flowers. In, I don't often find him out there cutting the flowers, but I would never risk cutting <laughs> the flowers. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Um, Good, but you know, like even things like red buds, like the flowers on a red bud, are beautiful, mm-hmm. and um, they serve purposes. You know, so mm-hmm. how, you could plant a small dwarf red bud in your zone one that is beautiful in the spring. It has the jury's out on if it's a nitrogen fixer or not. I believe it is, but <laughs> some people say it's not. But, um, you know, there's all kinds of benefits to those kind of mm-hmm. They're flowering edible. Those plates. flowers are edible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you have, I mean, really just be thinking about how you can maybe even create an infrastructure. And I would start your list if you're going to just create a zone one planting list. I would start with some of those structural things like, you know, blueberry bushes are a great thing to have in your zone one. Rosemary is a great thing. These are perennials that are just going to continue to expand and they can create the framework on which you build everything else. So instead of thinking about rows, think about those circles, those gilts, those um, sort of arches or maybe even key. Um, what are those called? Key gardens. I'm using, yeah. Is that the right word? Sure. There's, sure. A, there's a different name, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, where you build sort of a key shape into your garden and it just maximizes the space. Keyhole. Keyhole. So confusing. Right. <laughs> anyway, so close. Um, maximizes the amount that you can grow because you walk in, there's a little circle and around all of that circle, you can grow and reach everything. Um, so it's different than a row, but just as effective. And actually, and I forget what the numbers are, but something like quadruple your growing space, what you yeah. can grow in any given space by using keyholes instead of rows. Um, and if you need an image, just, you know, Google keyhole garden and you'll find one. Um, but yeah, so really thinking about how up close and personal to your house can you be and thinking then again, 
you have a north side of your house. What can you grow on the north side of your house that might be um, better using what otherwise would be too shady for some things? And there's plenty of things on the that prefer the shady side of the house. Um, I'm trying to think of things. We have a challenge because it. The shady side of our house is also the wet side. It is, yeah. So it's like the fig tree is doing great over yeah, there. it's doing good over there. It would do good on the south side too, though. I mean, a fig tree yeah. you know, likes it wherever. Yeah, and figs right up on the houses are really good. And you can, you know, people get intimidated about growing things on the, the house. But the truth is you can always trim them back. And the fig tree really likes that protection from the wind. So it's a really, it's yeah. kind of a symbiotic relationship. And, and look, again, it loses all of its leaves in the wintertime. So... It's not going to block your house from getting some of that thermal sunning, that warming up that the sun will do. That's what I was going to say. Is looking at deciduous trees for the south side yeah. of your house that you could grow to create shade during the mm-hmm. summer and not in the winter. And the the we've grown hops this way, and it's one of my favorite things. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, so you can get creative. There's lots of vines and things that you can use in that way. The other thing I think that's important about Zone One is really defining your pathways Mm -hmm. so taking time to like the pathway from your house to the cars or um along the sidewalk or looking at those edges so in permaculture there's a lot about edges and i i think it for me it really helps like check off the boxes of like okay there a lot of people there's like this sidewalk that goes to their front door and then there's always like a little kind of small area mm, between that yeah and to grow in and generally people have like boxwoods or something in there but if you pull that out and just say okay what can i grow in this area what can i put a water feature in this area could i put some like wind chimes you know like and start plugging in pathways and features in there and then design plants around that mm. that um just in like a 10 by 10 area there's a ton that you can grow Mm -hmm. and you can just start working on filling that up before you even go anywhere else on your property yeah and if you start that intensive you can grow enough food for your entire neighborhood Mm. on a very small amount of property you just have to stay intense like that i was gonna say i think we often give people permission to scale way back Right. When we go to an audit, because what people want to do when they homestead is they want to expand and, and do as much as they possibly can. And they we tend to have this kind of lack mindset, all of us do, of like more, 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 more. And the truth is, if you are more focused on less space, you'll be more productive. So if you can do more with less, you can you can have even more. Um, and this is like, I mean, a sort of a huge epiphany that you could kind of take into any context, I right. think. But yeah. in the homestead context, what that means is rein it all back in, slow your roll, and and really try to harness your energy into these very specific and targeted areas. Um, and I can say this knowing full well that I struggle with it all the time. Right. You know, it can be really, really hard when the sky's the limit to just say, oh, I'm going to just do, do this one thing. Um, and in fact, I think that that for a lot of people who are on smaller acreage, this is why they do so well, because and why we did even when we were on less than a quarter of an acre, we were we were really highly productive with our garden because we had to be or else, you know, we had to maximize what we were doing. And I think that's what we should be doing more and more of instead of getting more acreage. We should be learning how to do more with a little amount of acreage. Well, it's funny because like in our garden in the city, we would get like four bags of 
like compost mm. like from Lowe's you right. know and that was like enough for our entire enough for garden, garden yeah. and like people I just saw somebody in like one of the homesteader groups saying they had like a 5,000 square foot garden and the amendments you know they had amended it but nothing grew and it's like you know at that scale you've got to bring in like dump truck loads yeah. every year um but if you can create a system of plants growing around your zone one in your zone one that are nourishing it and mm -hmm. um and replenishing the nutrients and you know you have the worms and the birds and all of that growing like an ecosystem then you can slowly expand out more and more mm -hmm. and it's all working with nature instead which of which brings in a really loads. good the the point of like we live in that space the most too right, right. so we have um, you really have to consider also, you know, how are you going to interact with this space? And we talk about this a lot. Like, where do you sit down? Where do you enjoy your garden? And you need to make sure there's benches and invitations all throughout this space for you to come and participate so that it doesn't feel like it's its own thing. Like you are, you are in any permaculture system, you are a living member and need to be there. Um, and so we need to make it as inviting and as nurturing as we possibly can for our own selves. And that also incorporate the things that we need to dispose of from our house. Where can we put our compost bin or where can we come? Maybe there's no bin at all. Where can we compost? How can we directly add our coffee grounds and our banana peels and our um, all the bits and bobs that we have from our kitchen uh, into our garden? And how can it be right there, really handy and ready to be used? Yeah. Um, and even if that means, you know, you maybe you want a black soldier fly bin, get a little one and keep it right there in the garden. I think this is something that even Drew and I can approve upon. Um, right now we're bringing all our scraps up to the chickens and that's a bit of a haul, right? But honestly, chickens should even maybe potentially be in your zone one. If you're going to have a small homestead, um, efficient garden set up, then those chickens can be very close by so that you can throw scraps to them and use their manure and vice versa. So, um, so yeah, zone one is a really crucial element of your farm and it will take time to establish it. It's not something that's going to be like overnight. You have this perfect set up it's going to take a minute for you to continue adding layer by layer into this model um so you know i think sometimes we're like okay i'm going to plant a garden this year and that's that right right but it really should be a process a um an evolution of what you even like to grow you know and i would say the best thing that you could do is start with like we said some of those some of those staples like um herbal ones that drew was mentioning or perennial ones like the blueberries or the raspberries or whatever or hops or hops things yeah. that you can um, kiwi kiwi yeah i mean there's a lot of really great options for staples that can sort of create that again framework or those boundaries or those even those edges start from there um and fill in and don't think oh i'm going to do this all in one year um just slow and steady right right yeah just pick a five to ten foot square mm -hmm. somewhere on your south side and what can you do this year to maximize that and make a make an overall plan and then work on it every mm -hmm. year until it develops into something where you can do that right next to it right you know in four years or something right and yeah. i say all the time you know draw it out i mean right. your drawing is not like set in stone by any means but i'll tell you and i've said it a million times before i'll make a drawing and i've made it of my garden before and then found the drawing later and said, oh, we did all of that. Yeah. Not even referencing the drawing through that process. It's just once you've kind of done it, it sort of becomes what you're you end up doing. I don't know. You got to have a, a really plan. Cool, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a plan. Yeah. Um, 
And I would also encourage you to make a list of plants, perennials, and just focus on those perennials first and foremost. And, um, you know, write down 10 to 20 that you want to get started this year. Um, of course, it's always going to be more uh, more expensive if you buy plants. So try to see if you can find seeds and get those started at that time of year. Um, but, you know, you get a seed packet and you can start 40 plants for the price of one plant potentially. Yeah. So, um, but anyway... But if your budget allows it, if there's nothing wrong it, with getting right. the five-year-old blueberry versus the one-year-old. Yeah, you for know, sure. You're definitely, if you're confident in your perennial plant skills, there's nothing wrong with taking that fast forward. Fast forward, right, yeah. right. It's either money or time, right? Right, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's your zone one. I feel yeah. like that kind of is a good a good summary. I think we hit a little bit on everything. Yeah, so get out your sheet of paper, draw your house in the middle, and start drawing <laughs> your zone one. And then tune back for zone two.